Mark Reed Edwards, marketing leader at HFS. Welcome to this HFS video cast of a special fireside chat between HFS CEO and chief analyst, Phil First, and publicist sapient CEO, Nigel Vaz. In addition to serving as CEO, Nigel is a consulting leader and the author of the Wall Street Journal bestselling book titled Digital Business Transformation. Leading the discussion, as always, is Phil First. Phil founded HFS in 2010. Recently, the Analyst Observatory at the University of Edinburgh recognized HFS as a leading global analyst firm, ranking the company second in influence over enterprise buyers and second for engagement with enterprise buyers. So let me hand it over to Phil to get the discussion with Nigel underway. Phil, it's all yours. Thanks. Thanks, Mark, and uh, lovely to meet you, Nigel. Um, maybe we could start with you telling us a bit more about your background and how, how you ended up leading a major digital leader like Pulisic Sapient. Sure. Um, thanks for having me. It's, it's, it's great to be on. You know, my journey from a career perspective started with entrepreneurship. I started a company because I really believed in the power of technology in the early days of the internet. Uh, um, and the the foundation of the company was connecting technology to business uh, to create uh, value. And some of the work that we actually did uh, ranged from connecting schools in sub-Saharan Africa to, to kind of the internet, to building some of the early uh, uh, internet platforms. And, and some of that gave me uh, uh, you know, uh, the opportunity to do some pretty incredible things. Uh, that fundamentally meant that I could see how technology was transforming people's lives. So for me, post running my own company, what really drew me to Sapient at the time was how the culture and people dimension of the work that a company did could go beyond just the impact it was having uh, in, in terms of what it did. So why it did what it did and how it did what it did uh, being, uh, you know, being connected. So uh, over that journey, having met our founders at Sapient, I've been in the company uh, in a number of different roles from uh, building and leading uh, our business in, in the United States to then leading uh, our business outside the United States. I was chief strategy officer for the company for a number of years. And, uh, and now a CEO of the entire business. And for me throughout that entire time, uh, the idea that a group of people connected by a common purpose with shared values uh, focused on uh, the difference that business could, to, could benefit from in, in, you know, uh, by leveraging uh, technology and digital in the broadest sense was one of the greatest motivations uh, you know, for me. And, and, and this idea of digital business transformation really in the way that we articulated today has been at the core of uh, of what's driven the company. What, what's your vision over the next few years and the role of digital then on, on people's lives and business and, and how this is going to evolve with, you know, the, the changing work environments, the changing global business environments, supply chain, ineffectiveness, all this sort of stuff. I mean, what do you, look, what do you, you know, think it's going to look like? I, I was recently in Davos and I was in this conversation uh, having as part of the digital leaders community, which I'm part of there, um, you know, talking about, you know, the good and bad of technology, right? And I think that has existed for a while. But if you just think about the world we inhabit today, imagine COVID, uh, you know, in a world that was less digital uh, than the one we're in now, you know, just think about the, uh, the ability to kind of, you know, run organizations in a distributed fashion, we had almost 20,000 people needing to work remotely, uh, uh, you know, in a, in a week's notice, right? It just physically wouldn't have been possible to do so many of the things we're doing now. Are there going to be more changes 
you know, around and, and, and concerns around privacy, around how we're going to govern data access, around how we're actually uh, going to ensure the democratization of technology so we don't create a new class, uh, you know, divide of digital haves and digital have-nots. All of those things, you know, of course, remain, uh, you know, real concerns. But I feel like so much of the benefit uh, that we as, as people are, are deriving today is from the shift of technology in the industrial revolution, essentially uh, in hindsight being the root of so many of the problems we have from climate change uh, to sustainability, to, to frankly a rare earth mineral mining and all of the other challenges you've got there. You fast forward to today, uh, and I think digital could potentially become the solution to so many of the biggest problems, uh, you know, that uh, that we have encountered from, you know, reuse to recycling to thinking about, you know, broader ESG goals around sustainability within organizations, because I, I feel like that when we think about digital business transformation, sort of an example, we launched this platform called emissions which is all about maintaining and managing, you know, sustainability through carbon emissions uh, across the life cycle of an organization, forcing choices at the lowest level. And, you know, in, in the cases of many organizations, including a very large energy company, you know, saved them hundreds of millions of dollars in, in, uh, in investment in choices that would have affected negatively uh, you know, how they were uh, performing on a sustainability index and, and made them make different choices, right? Those are all examples of things I think that are pretty powerful um, uh, in, in the context of how things I think can evolve. Like everything though, I think it comes down to the kind of choices we make as people uh, uh, and, uh, and, you know, more broadly, uh, the collaboration that is going to be required at a, at a national level in order to facilitate some of these things actually really being beneficial to, to the majority of us as opposed to some people. Yeah, so the democratization will bring, it needs to start to bring collaboration together, not drive people further apart. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, um, I met with Bill Clinton about four years ago at this, and he said, we thought social media was a good thing at first. Yeah. <laughs> and it's turned out to be, you know, it's kind of hit a, hit a wall in terms of uh, the value it's adding. So I think, you know, some of the things you're talking about with driving more collaboration, democratizing some of these conversations and, you know, the, what, what do you think needs to make the change? I mean, obviously COVID, changed a lot of how we work like we weren't even going near conference calls two years ago and then stuff was unthinkable we we did audio calls back then right yeah. you know you could you could get at the gym and take a call right yeah. and uh, all this stuff and suddenly that was a big leap for us in terms of hey i don't need to go to the office now i can do all this stuff from the comfort of my home and, and now that's changing the whole work environment um so do you think there needs to be a platform for the next leap is it going to be a global recession is it is it just a natural evolution of business? Um, what, what do you think will be that big burning platform for change? Well, I think the burning platform for change that we're already seeing today, right, is whether you think about the macroeconomic concerns, whether you think about changing priorities in people's lives around work-life balance and, and how they want to think about, you know, what's work and what's not. Uh, you, you're starting to definitely see it with pressures around sustainability and building businesses that are genuinely adding value to the planet in, an, in its entirety beyond just value to shareholders. Uh, I think you're starting to see it in pressures uh, uh, that we talked about from how to 
you know, react in the context of climate change, which requires so much urgency or uh, recover from, you know, uh, what was probably the biggest health crisis we've seen in our generation, maybe in a couple of generations in the context of the pandemic. All of these things, I think, have created a realization that the opportunity to allow people to connect more immersively, to, to work uh, in a more distributed fashion, to earn a living on a fairer basis rather than it being monopolized by those with you know, access or physical proximity to, to certain places. Uh, all of these things are actually, I think, starting to drive a broader shift towards, I think, a better place. Um, what is gonna be extraordinarily critical, I think, as we do this is, uh, really trying to reimagine systems. And, you know, when I talk about transformation uh, and digital business transformation, right, it's reimagining things in the context of a world that is digital, as opposed to simply taking all of the inefficiencies and all of the challenges that we have in one situation and simply migrating them onto another platform, right? So it's, and, and I think to some extent, uh, we've got to evolve and push things a lot more because, you know, all the old jokes that you talked about on the old conference call systems uh, of like, hey, who's on and who's off and blah, blah, blah. You know, we've now got a new generation of those on like, you know, I'm still on mute and you're, you're you know, this person like just today, like joining the Zoom. I mean, it was so complicated to join the Zoom from the physical uh, you know, environment, I, just, I switched back to my laptop. So th these are, I think, all uh, all things I think will will basically have already created the realization that what we have is not good enough. And I think businesses are seeing that, you know, too. More and more I talk to, to our clients and companies more broadly, right? Why do I need to go into a bank to open a bank account? Why do I need to, uh, you know, have a piece of plastic to get money out of an ATM machine? Why do I need to, uh, you know, engage with my government by writing a letter? Uh, you know, why do I need to uh, identify myself uh, and to take, you know, eight weeks for me to get an identity document? Uh, and how can all of these things start to become far more seamless, far easier to access, right? And I feel like that reimagination is forcing, I think, huge opportunity. And we, I use this acronym in the context of transformation, which I talk about in the book called SPEED, which is all about, you know, having a clear strategy. What's the, the S uh, it, you know, what's the strategy for the value pools that you're trying to unlock if you're a government or if you're a government department? We're in the midst of today driving lots of transformations in the federal government space in the United States and state government spaces um, because they realize that government does not interact with its citizens in the way that people expect to be interacted with, right? From how you get a driving license to how you get a, a fishing permit or, or, or how you actually get a COVID certificate. All of these things are complex unnecessarily so. And the value, of course, is huge, both for the citizen and for government. Then thinking about things in the context of being products, that's the P. So rather than thinking about them in the context of, um, of really being projects, because so often we came from a world of projects. You know, we do a project, it begins and it ends, and we need another project and another project. And we hope that one of these projects will result in us being transformed. And for us, you know, the product mindset is how do you think about yourself almost uh, in the world that, of software, but applied to the, the business. How do you think about your company, your business as constantly evolving? You know, every iteration of it is allowing you to, uh, to evolve. Um, the E is experience. So really being thoughtful about designing experiences for people, for um, uh, designing experiences for people, designing experiences for uh, employees that allow them to be significantly better, more effective than they are. 
the next D is engineering. You know, so often IT was reduced to reporting to the CFO and all about cost uh, and all about uh, risk management. Today, it's about differentiation. Uh, and then the D is data and AI. So how do you constantly build a business that is responding uh, you know, and responsive to the inputs and the stimuli um, that it's getting uh, on a constant basis? And how do you automate and leverage intelligence to do uh, that is artificial to, to make as many of the decisions as you, you need to make. You know, we, we work with hospitals looking at radiology scans of cancer and found you know, uh, AI being able to do a significantly better job at pattern recognition than a radiologist with four or five years of experience. And these are all fields from law to uh, medicine where we are starting to see the speed approach really fundamentally reimagine uh, the way things are being done, as opposed to simply just digitizing what used to be done historically. So you wrote a book, um, Digital Business Transformation, and uh, we've all had a we've all had a chance to look at it. Um, and you cover key attributes for success. So could you talk a little bit about what they are, and then how should leaders be thinking as they jumpstart their transformation journeys, Nigel? Yeah, for sure. You know, when you think about transformation, right? Transformation isn't something that you can do to clients or for clients, but you can only do with clients because ultimately a successful digital business transformation is the culmination of work of teams across organizations within the client's business, within our business as a transformation partner and within this wider partner ecosystem. So for me, the best clients ultimately are the ones who recognize the need for transformation from a business perspective and embrace the idea that it is a journey and a journey that you will share uh, you know, together uh, in order to make a, a series of choices that ultimately uh, deliver, you know, transformational outcomes. So I often talk about this uh, idea that it is a journey, not a destination, and that the transformation in and of itself is delivered in an incremental fashion, but the outcomes need to be transformational, right? So when you think about what some of these things are that I talk about in the book, as you asked, it is being really clear on what the ultimate goals of this digital transformation, the digital business transformation you're trying to, to, to kind of go on are. So we call them the big, hairy, audacious goals, right? So the big goals, um, because otherwise you can lose the thread between you want the transformational to be incremental, but you want the outcome to be transformational and find yourself with a series of incremental outcomes, you know, which isn't transforming anything. Um, so not to get lost in the weeds of capability choices, personal agendas, uh, short-term pressures, uh, being really clear on, you know, what are those big goals, right? And how do you actually then create an organization that gets focused on that goal uh, in, in a way that essentially means that that is a constantly evolving organization? Then other things like aligning a team around a shared vision, C-level buy-in, you know, anchoring these shared outcomes and behaviors within the organization more broadly, thinking about quick wins, you know, how do you actually start to share things that you've won uh, uh, and had successes around quickly and communicating those. Also creating the permission for people to essentially move fast and occasionally, um, you know, fail fast so that they are learning from those mistakes. Being really thoughtful about governance, very hard to talk about how you're going to transform the organization um, if you are not clear on how that transformation is going to sustain in the organization and governance is a critical part of that idea. And then, you know, like I mentioned, right, um, you know, small cross-functional teams of diverse skill sets. Um, 
but also partners um, like us who are you know strategic who actually are going to continue with you on that transformation journey to allow you to cons consistently push you know beyond where you are um, so many of these things uh, I, I think are, are critical success factors. You know, I, I've seen organizations, for example, really struggle with funding. Business, business cases and business plans are done on an annual cycle, but yet we talk about organizational agility. Well, if you can't move resources and shape uh, choices on an ongoing basis over the course of the year, very hard to bring agility into an organization if your budgeting cycle you know, happens in a very rigid fashion, right? I mean, these are all examples of things I think um, that have shown to be, you know, hugely uh, valuable. So, Nigel, what is Publicis Sapient's role in digital business transformation and, and driving value and impact? When you when you think about uh, Publicis Sapient's role in the context of driving value and impact, right? The the first very simple example I can give you over the years is digital is becoming more and more critical you know, across organizations, right? And we've seen the shift from being tangential to essentially being core uh, in organizations. So going from tangential to existential. And as a result, what we've seen is really a lot of our clients wanting a partner that could uh, not just actually help them digitize, you know, a part of their business, um, but really help them reimagine themselves. And so when you think about uh, Publisa Sapien, you know, fundamentally success for us is about being able to be that partner that really helps make the difference between whether a company, you know, from, you know, not just survives, but thrives ultimately um, in the context of the outcomes that they need to drive, right? And, and so for us, this is where we're really positioned to partner with clients to drive both business and customer impact. Um, one of the examples uh, I'll use just to kind of illustrate this you know, idea uh, is I mentioned the federal government transformation work that we do. One, one example was uh, over the course of the COVID pandemic, millions of Americans faced, you know, real challenges with rental uh, hardship and potential evictions. And one of the um, one of the solutions we we uh, we developed was um, for the state of North Carolina that then got taken on to a number of other states uh, was housing and utility assistance, uh, you know, essentially allowing the state to quickly consolidate and assess applications from tens of thousands of people in one place and then track payments to eligible applications. Right. And this specific example I, uh, I'm using to highlight, you know, real impact, right? Because what this ensured is millions of people uh, received help quickly and were able to stay in their homes um, versus facing eviction, right? And, 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 and this is just an example of the kind of impact, uh, uh, you know, that we, we drive. Um, I mentioned earlier, you know, the reimagination of hotels, uh, you know, when I think about financial services, really fundamentally thinking about the shift to providing financial services in the context of people's lives, as opposed to selling mortgages or selling uh, insurance or selling, uh, you know, financial services uh, in the context of retail banking. All of these are, you know, hugely impactful. How do helping um folks, you know, buy groceries on a daily basis over the course of COVID, making sure that today, uh, you know, shopping baskets are, uh, are, are assembled to be more 
uh, you know, cost effective on the basis of what uh, supply chain issues and, uh, you know, produce issues are driving prices up in the retail space. Every one of these is examples of uh, the kind of work we're doing in the context of climate. I mentioned emissions uh, from a platforms perspective, but also something as simple as, you know, we're working today with a large grocery store to optimize their way their vans deliver uh, you know, food to us uh, in order to minimize uh, emissions in the way in which they're routed. I mean, these are all examples of, of things I think that have both impact on the business, whether it's driving, helping them drive growth or, or take cost out of the business, but also uh, in the context of their customers. Wow. So we talk about uh, people driving impact in the workplace of the future. Um, you know, what do you, what do you think is going to happen in terms of work culture in the next couple of years and beyond and and the impact people want to have in the workplace and how, how's that going to change in your in your view and what, what yeah. are you guys doing to maybe address that with your yeah, I mean, look, you know fundamentally just if i start with ourselves right, we're a people company and our people are our greatest assets and and i think you understand this as ceo of a, a people business too right because ultimately you know our people are the ones that create the impact for our clients and ultimately their customers right so for us our investment continues to be in making sure that the company that we create is an environment where starting, you know, for starters, everybody can genuinely thrive, right? So thinking about programs and policies that not only allow you to create a more diverse and inclusive environment, but more importantly, create an environment where people can work happily and effectively in ways that allow them to see their careers grow, right? And, and you know, so many of these things sound uh, you know, really simple, but they're not, you know, one example basically is women in, in the workforce, right? For us, particularly in the tech sector, it's a huge challenge uh, retaining women following life events, whether it's marriage or raising a family uh, and, you know, thinking about how the work environment could facilitate that uh, both in terms of them staying and potentially then coming back. Uh, and, you know, we launched a program called Spring specifically in this context to focus on um, both equipping women who are out of the workforce to get back into the workforce, but more importantly, actually support women who are in the company to start to be able to operate, uh, you know, in this way. Whether, you know, similarly, we're focused on, you know, our LGBTQI community, uh, people with disabilities or differently abled people. Uh, every one of these uh, meant that we've had to quadruple our investments in learning and development, in technology-based training, and uh, con continually recognizing that people are going to have to be uh, able to access bespoke training tools, bespoke support across the organization um, in order to find the right opportunities that connect what they want to do with uh, what, uh, you know, what their skill sets, uh, you know, allow them to have a better impact on, right? And all of these things are examples. We, of course, do tons of leadership development. We, we have a program called Fellowship and Transformational Leadership, which is almost like an MBA level, uh, you know, uh, um, program over the course of, of years. Uh, and, and then, you know, really starting to think about flexibility in a very different way, right? So how do you actually enable people who work from home uh, to not be disadvantaged in, uh, in the physical separation that they have from people who actually work uh, from a physical environment? And uh, all of these things, I think, are evolving at such a rapid pace. It means that we definitely know that as much progress as we feel like we're making, we're barely scratching the surface in terms of how we can... Um, how we need to navigate the, the, the trends 
you know, as they're evolving, because I feel like today people recognize there is a need for social interaction and collaboration and, and connection. Um, but there's also, you know, need for um, distribution. And, uh, you know, we, we think about the work day in, in the context of modes. So, you know, kind of heads up work when you need to be kind of interacting with people, uh, you know, heads down work when you can, uh, you know, be doing uh, work by yourself and heads together work, uh, which, which perhaps requires more physical connection, if not digital connection in order to facilitate things. And, you know, these are modes that are very hard over the life cycle of the kind of work we do um, to start to allow people to flow in and out of uh, in a seamless fashion without actually having the right you know, sort of muscle memory of the organization to behave a certain way. And so we're doing a lot of work to embed this kind of thinking. Awesome. And, um, you know, finally, what's your vision for Publicis Sapient over the next few years and the role of digital on business and, and people's lives, Nigel? You know, ultimately, our purpose is, you know, helping people thrive in the brave pursuit of next, right? And, and we think about people more broadly as, you know, our clients, their customers, their citizens, their patients, and our own people. And ultimately, for us, over the next few years, I'd love to see us partner with our clients to help them transform themselves on their uh, DBT journey uh, in order to continue to stay leaders uh, in the space they operate in. Because how you know boring would the world be if you know the only successful retailer was Amazon and that's where we all bought our stuff, right? Um, similarly, in the context of customers, uh, the work we do to make their lives better through helping our clients transform. And these could be patients, these could be citizens. Uh, and then ultimately for our own people by creating an environment and opportunity uh, you know, uh, for them to thrive, right? And what we know for sure is that as the role of digital in our lives continues to grow, all of these dimensions that I talked about as a purpose-driven digital business transformation company, we're constantly thinking about, uh, you know, how to stay relevant across these three different audiences that I talked about. Nigel, it's been terrific getting some time with you. And, um, you know, for everybody who's on here, I recommend they, they uh, get a copy of Nigel's book. It's Digital Business Transformation, How Established Companies Sustain Competitive Advantage from Now to the Next. So uh, read a lot of it. We've read it. It's great. Uh, it's great hearing the, the whole experience of uh, Publicis Sapient and how you're building out a very unique business. And um, we look forward to engaging you a lot more and hearing a lot more of these great stories of what you're doing with your clients. Awesome. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Well, thanks, Phil and Nigel. What a great forward-looking discussion. To learn more about HFS, head over to hfsresearch.com, where you can view most of our research for free. Plus, we have a growing library of videocasts just like this that you can take with you wherever you go. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you on the next HFS videocast. Mm -hmm.